Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. So excited for tonight to be talking again with Dr. William Lee. He just always blows my mind every time we talk to him. He is a member of our Sakara Science Council. He's an internationally renowned Harvard-trained medical doctor and researcher, a physician, scientist, health defense specialist, and author of Eat to Beat Disease, The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself, as well as author of his latest book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, Burn Fat, Heal Your Metabolism, and Live Longer. You can also see him on his TED Talks, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer? He has groundbreaking work, which has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments. I mean, he is the real deal here. He's impacting care for more than 70 different diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. And we are so excited to have him as part of our community and here with us tonight to be talking about metabolism and what we can do to boost our metabolism now and into the future. So please, everybody, welcome Dr. William Lee. Hi, guys. Great to see you. So good to see you. Well, Dr. Lee, we're so happy to have you, not just tonight, but on our Science Council and for the work that you do. So thank you. I think the most obvious place to start is to hear from you, what exactly is the metabolism? So when somebody says, I think my metabolism is slowing, what are they referring to? And how does that kind of intersect with the scientific definition of metabolism? Right. Well, metabolism is something that we all are familiar with in a certain sense, but actually most people are not really familiar with what the latest research is on metabolism. So first, let me just say that most people equate metabolism with energy and how their body uses chemical reactions to generate energy. And energy in our body, you know, for the people who are science geeks, is a molecule called ATP. It's an energy molecule. And it basically allows us to do the things we want to do, blink our eyes, think, listen, hear, walk around, and just do the activities of daily living. But metabolism is actually much more complicated than just all the chemical reactions adding up to ATP, because that actually doesn't really connect to most people. I could give a, a lecture to medical students or graduate students or biology students, and they would sort of have to write that down and memorize, regurgitate it on a test. But I think for the saccharides, the definition of metabolism has got to be something that's functional, something that they all understand. So I want to give you guys sort of like a, a practical way to understand metabolism, which is metabolism is the way that our body takes energy 
from food that we eat in order to create fuel. And that fuel is then powering the engine of our body so we can do everything that we want to do. You need a little bit more fuel if you are trying to do a big project or you're exercising. You need a little bit less fuel if you're not quite as active. But no matter what it is we're doing, whether it's actually going to work, whether it's working out, whether it's going out socializing, or whether it's just sitting and reading, scrolling through your, your emails, we all need energy. So our metabolism is a way that our body is designed so that we can actually eat food, remove the energy from our food, pull it into the cells of our body, get it to wherever it needs to go, and then to power it along. One of the things that I want to actually point out is that that's the same. I think I heard Whitney talk about warning lights in a car. And our metabolism is actually very similar to that in the sense that if you have a car and you're actually still driving a gas car, basically think about it. We have fuel that has to be put into our automobile. That fuel allows our car to go from the tank all the way to power up the engine. But we don't think about that very much when we're driving around. We just want to go from point A to point B. All right. The only time we think about our fuel is when the fuel gauge runs low and all of a sudden we realize we've got to fill up. And then when we fill it up, the tank is full and we continue our way. Metabolism is very similar to that. But the point between the tank and the engine, in other words, between our mouth and all our other body parts, actually is very, very complicated. It can be affected by uh, our gut health. It can be affected by the amount of stress we have. It can be affected by how much energy that we're actually using with physical activity. So the more physical activity, the better for us. But it can also be affected by when we're not physically active, which is when we're sleeping. And obviously, it can be affected by the quality of the fuel that we put into our tank. So when you're pulling over your car that you fill up in the gas station, most of us try to be mindful to put higher quality fuel into our gas tank. We know that that's what's going to allow our car to run longer and better over the course of the life of the car. Every now and then you put in a some crappy fuel, it's not gonna harm it. But if you actually day in and day out, don't think about the quality of the fuel you'll put in, you actually run down the longevity and the, the vibrancy of your car. Our metabolism works exactly the same way. And there's so many myths about metabolism that we all walk around with that just recent research shows is not true. And, and I'm imagining we're gonna actually talk about some of those myths. Yeah, we're going to get into all those because there really are so many myths. I mean, I remember my mom walking around the house, like touting some of those myths. Like she she had this saying where she was like, my metabolism so slow, I could look at a cracker and gain weight. Like She just had all of these myths that we'll definitely get into. But I love what you're talking about and explaining it with the car, because I think it's like the rate and the efficiency with which we take this outside information and energy and use it for our own energy. And when we talk about like health span, lifespan, vitality, I love how you brought that in. That's like the efficiency with which we use the outside world to create kind of inner energy that we get to use. So you talked about how that intersects with the gut and food. What role does the gut and food play in sort of a revved healthy, vibrant, efficient metabolism. All right. Well, let's kind of walk through some of the core elements of our metabolism. We have our brain, which actually has the sensors, the fuel gauge to know when we need to fuel up, right? When we're actually full, which is that when our tank is full, we have our gut that actually takes in the fuel. So when we eat food, 
that sends a signal to our organs like the pancreas and our pancreas releases a hormone called insulin. Everyone knows, has heard about insulin. Insulin actually helps to take that energy, pull it into our cells because that food and the nutrients actually go through uh, from our stomach into our blood vessels. And it's the insulin that grabs it and pulls it into our cells in order to work. Now, what's interesting is if you eat inflammatory substances, artificial preservatives, artificial coloring, artificial flavoring that can actually trigger inflammation that then derails metabolism. And how does your gut bacteria fit into all this? Well, most of our food is processed on the first part of our gut. So our gut's about 40 feet long from our mouth to our tailpipe, let's call it. It's 40 feet long. That's about the length of a bus. And most of the nutrients get absorbed in the first half of the intestines. Everything else tumbles all the way downwards towards the tailpipe. And our healthy gut bacteria, our microbiome is found in the second half at the very end, actually. But the people sitting in the back of the bus, actually, the bacteria are among the most important components of our overall health and our metabolism. That gut bacteria lowers inflammation, helps us process lipids, makes our insulin sensitivity perfect. So when our gut is healthy, that insulin will draw in that energy very, very efficiently so that we have that energy. And actually, the gut bacteria also messages our brain in order to be able to help us control our mood. When you're in a bad mood, when you're feeling anxious or depressed or stressed, we tend to make less sound decisions, harder to make good decisions. So this tail end of our gut containing all this healthy bacteria lowers inflammation, influences our decision-making, but also helps our metabolism draw that energy in. When our gut is unhealthy, when we eat things that are unhealthy for our gut, good example, eating a huge amount of processed meats, you know, the stuff you get in a deli, or ultra-processed foods, or sodas, including sodas with artificial sweeteners, that gut bacteria gets distressed because some of these Chemicals are actually poisonous to our gut bacteria. When our healthy gut bacteria are poisoned, think about um, this community of gut bacteria like the Great Barrier Reef. Amazing ecosystem with all these beautiful animals and beautiful fish of all sizes. We want to keep that ecosystem as healthy as possible. It helps to feed the health of our not only the ocean, but our whole planet. But when we actually feed them something that's toxic, imagine going on a boat over the Great Barrier Reef and just pouring a bottle of bleach off the side of the boat right onto that reef. Some of the fish are going to die. Some of the coral are going to die. And all of a sudden, it's not happy anymore and not doing what it should do. Similarly, our gut health is very important for our overall health and our overall metabolism. And we really need to help make sure that we are resetting, we are nurturing, we are always trying to elevate our gut health. And that's really what your reset program is all about. And to that point, you know, when you talk about the diversity of the coral reef, the diversity of our colon and our microbiome, diversity is one of the number one signs of a healthy gut and how you have a diversity of microbiota is you have a diversity of different kinds of plants. So, you know, everyone on the reset every week is getting 170 different plant species every single week. When they say, like, if you can even target 30 every week, that's like an indication that you're on your way to a healthy gut. And I think, what is it like most people right now are getting like 12, 12, 12 tops, 
12 right. different plant species every day. And we all, we all are those people sometimes too, you know, it's like you grab for the same thing. And, you know, even in the grocery store, I tell people, try and get a couple new things in the fresh aisle. Every time you go, just try it, try a different kind of potato, try, you know, broccoli rob instead of broccoli, just like trying new things really helps increase that, that diversity. Yeah. And I also think about glyphosate and all the different pesticides and herbicides that are on conventionally grown produce and how that affects the ecosystem inside of our gut, that Great Barrier Reef ecosystem. And putting those herbicides and pesticides, it is a bit like pouring bleach, you know, on our ecosystem. And so that's one of the reasons why we always choose organic or beyond organic ingredients to go into our meals and our products. Yeah. And to that point, we're responsible for feeding our gut bacteria. What does our gut bacteria like? Well, they love diverse foods, especially plant-based foods. The more colorful the variety, the more different the textures, the fresher they are. Really, the a kaleidoscope of foods is what they want. Our gut microbiome is not like a puppy, you know, or a dog where you can feed it the same kibble every night. It really wants to have a lot of different types of things. Now, and I actually checked out the Metabolism Reset offerings, and, you know, you guys offer a lot of different varieties of foods, which is exactly what your gut wants. Now, a lot of those foods and what your gut craves is dietary fiber. We don't absorb that kind of dietary fiber in our own human bodies, but the rest, it tumbles down to the tail end of our gut where it feeds our gut microbiome. So it craves that. But the other thing is that polyphenols from plant-based foods also feed our gut microbiome. Those are prebiotics, okay, for our gut bacteria. And you guys also are, have foods that have are packed very rich in prebiotics, which I think is really important to actually appreciate the the kind of the thinking and the strategy that that has gone into designing your reset. Now, you talked about organic, which is really important. And the point you made is absolutely true. Organic will have fewer pesticides, fewer chemicals associated with them that might damage your the ecosystem. However, there is, in addition to that, an even more appealing reason to eat organic or a source organic, and that is many of these polyphenols found in our plants that feed our gut microbiome and actually feed our own health defenses actually are produced by plants when insects nibble on their leaves and stems. It's a wound healing response. So when you have a strawberry or a blueberry or a peach or an apple or a coffee bean growing naturally with just the normal things coexisting with nature, it's all about the balance in the world. Without pesticides, little nibbles are going on the leaves. And so the plant will actually produce more chlorogenic acid in the case of coffee beans or uh, elagic acid in the case of strawberries, anthocyanins in the case of blueberries. These are all polyphenol probiotics. So with conventionally grown, almost no bugs, no need to produce as many polyphenols. Natural growth, which is organic or more than organic, you've got normal natural ecosystem around the plant. And guess what? They actually make more polyphenols. So this is one of the new reasons that botanists have discovered why organic actually is more of the good stuff. And that's a great reason. I love that so much. It's just like such a beautiful reminder that Mother Nature really 
you know, kind of does have it right. And when we intercept, we cause more, more harm than good, even with best intentions. And I also love this because I think even though everyone here is a Sakharalite and obviously understands the importance of food as medicine, I don't think we at Sakara do a good enough job actually talking about why we make certain decisions for your nutrition. So I think if you're not, you know, some sort of nutrition expert or wellness expert or a doctor, it's hard to know why we made certain decisions. And I think we could do a better job of kind of helping people understand, but you're outlining so many of them. It's like, this is not like a plant-based meal delivery. If that were the case, I would probably serve the same five meals every week. Not worry about about getting your diversity of plants every single week, but there's so much thought that goes into everything you just said, making sure you're getting enough greens every single day, making sure you're getting enough different kinds of fibers, enough polyphenols, enough plant protein, enough of those healthy lipids, those decisions are when you're talking about, you know, pulling information, energy from the outside world, and then transforming it and transmuting it into our own energy. Like that is why we make these nutrition decisions. So you get the best fuel for your tank, so to speak. Exactly. It's amazing how each of our body's processes are interconnected and how much they each affect our daily lives. Take metabolism, for example. It plays a role in just about everything from our energy levels to our hormone levels to our microbiome to how our body generates energy and stores fat. We designed Sakara's Metabolism Super Powder to help keep your metabolism humming at a healthy rate to power all of these processes and optimize your daily well-being. It includes whole plant ingredients like kelp extract, which is known to support lipid metabolism, turning unhealthy white fat into healthy brown fat. It contains horsetail extract to help ease bloat. It contains L-glutamine and black pepper to help support gut health and digestion. Plus, it's chocolatey and delicious. You can add it to your morning coffee, you can add it to a smoothie, or you can even just add it to your favorite nut milk. Learn more of the science behind our best-selling metabolism super powder on Sakara.com and enjoy 20% off your first 30-day pouch with the code SLP20. And tonight we're talking a lot about how food is fuel and how our bodies use this food for energy. And usually we like to talk about how food is information, that it tells our body what to do, how to turn on and turn off different genes. And actually that goes into metabolism as well. What foods we eat matters, right? I'm curious your thoughts on calories. Are all calories the same? Is it a calorie? Is a calorie is a calorie when it comes to my metabolism? The word calorie literally is just the currency, the name of the currency of that we call the energy that comes from food that we eat. The fact of the matter is that a calorie is that unit of energy, but that unit of energy comes with other stuff packed along with it. So an empty calorie really means that It's just calories and not much else. But something that's really uh, calorie dense really refers to all the other things that could be put with it. Fiber, minerals, polyphenols to make something that really is uh, incredibly rich 
and potent for our health to light up that ecosystem and our health defenses. So calories are not all equal. For example, if you think about calorie being the definition of currency, you could pay with the euro, you could pay with the yen, you could pay with the dollar, you could pay with the lira. I mean, not the lira, not anymore, but the peso. Okay. And so you can choose different currencies, but what you buy with that, what comes along with that use of the currency is completely different. And so when we get too fixated on calories and only focus on that number, it's kind of like when you stand on a scale to look at your weight and all you can do is to focus on that number on the scale. Look, it's important. But it's certainly not the only thing. And the numbers of calories really do not reveal everything you need to know about your inner health. And nor do they tell you everything that you want to know about the quality of the food or the quality of the fuel they're actually putting into your body. And so I think that you just brought up an incredibly important point that we need to start moving further and further away from just being fixated on numbers and fixated in that concept of calorie. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Lee, your metaphors are coming in strong tonight. <laughs> I'm liking all of them and they give like a really nice visual. I love this idea of what comes along with that exchange. Like what comes along with those calories is maybe more important than the calorie itself. Okay. Let's get into some of these myths. So first myth that I want you to say true or false and why I heard this, you know, from my mom a lot. And it was this idea that as she was getting older, her metabolism was slowing. So is it true that our metabolism slows as we age? True or false? And this was a question that we must have gotten from, you know, at least two dozen of our Saqqara lights wrote in asking about this. So let them know. So I'm going to I'm going to let it rip right at the beginning. Surprisingly, it is not true. It is false. It is false that our metabolism naturally slows as we age and we get into our middle age years. And I'm going to throw myself under the bus here because I was taught in medical school to believe that our metabolism does slow because think about it, many people who are entering their 40s, 45s, 50s are in fact struggling with their weight and the changes in their body shape, right? Okay, so something's happening, but I can tell you it's not that your metabolism automatically slows. How do we know this? What led to us discovering that this idea is a myth? And once I tell you this, I'm going to then tell you why it is that we do struggle sometimes with weight and metabolism in our middle ages. In December 2021, 90 researchers got together and published a paper on the world's largest and most ambitious study ever undertaken in the history of humans on metabolism. And what they did is they studied 6,000 people over from 20 different countries, different backgrounds, different food, different cultural traditions, different value systems, different genders, and different ages. They studied people who were one week old all the way to 90 plus years old. That's the entire human lifespan and everything in between. And what they did is they studied them all in exactly the same way. They gave them a drink of water. Now water, as everyone knows, is also called H2O. 
H is hydrogen, O is oxygen. And we're not gonna go into chemistry here, but what the researchers did, they tweaked the H, the hydrogen, they tweaked the oxygen so that when everyone drank their water, the metabolism would go to town and change the hydrogen and the oxygen, which they could then measure, the researcher could measure in their breath. They could measure it in a blood test, and they could also measure it in their urine. And so when they got the results 6,000 times across everyone from one week old to 90 years old, here's what they found. They found metabolism was all over the map, okay? Not useful, right? And it's just like, yeah, that's just what I thought it would actually be, except in today's world, we now have real powerful computer algorithms. And what they did is they applied an algorithm that would go to every individual of that 6,000. They would correct the, the reading, the result of the metabolism for extra body fat. So what they could do, they could feed all the person's height and gender and everything else into this algorithm. And the algorithm would remove the impact on the metabolism caused by extra body fat. If you remove the extra body fat, what would the metabolism look like? And when they did that, they removed the effect of extra body fat. The results were like pulling the cloak off the statue of David for the very first time. You saw this perfect image of what human metabolism actually looks like under the surface when you don't have extra body fat. And it turns out all humans go through four phases in their life. And it goes like this. From zero, we're all born with the same metabolism. It's an operating system. Just like if you guys and I went to our respective computer stores and bought the same model of laptop and brought it home, plugged it in, booted it up, the operating system of our laptops would work exactly the same way. So out of the box, when we're born, we all have the exact same metabolism. That's how we're hardwired. And what happens is that zero to one, phase one, metabolism skyrockets, which is why it's so important that we expose our babies, our infants to really high quality things in the environment. Now think about, about those, the things that can actually affect metabolism that babies are exposed to, obesogens and endocrine disruptors in the binky, in the fluffy, blanket that actually sheds microparticles in the stuffed animal that they're sleeping next to. All these cute things, we're beginning to realize, oh man, like that metabolism is absorbing all these things that could potentially influence it. So this is a big wake-up call for all of us to recognize our metabolism and the things that could actually influence it are heightened when we're born. But we're all born with the same operating system. So the first phase is zero to one. And then from one-year-old to 20-year-old, you know, this is the time when you got teenagers and adolescents and you're seeing boys or girls eating two or three dinners, they're full of energy, bouncing off the wall, and they're growing like weeds. And so you think, man, their metabolism must be going through the roof, right? Wrong. This research showed that between one and 20, human metabolism is hardwired to go down, 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 down to adult levels. So even though people are sprouting, their metabolism is actually heading down towards adult levels. And then when you go from 20 to 60, and this is the period that we're talking about, the mainstay of adult years, what happens to metabolism, surprisingly, when you remove the effect of excess body fat, what the researchers found is our hardwiring, our operating system is designed 
to have rock-stable metabolism, 20, 30, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60. It's a flat line, like a smooth sea for sailing. It's, it's supposed to be rock-stable. It doesn't automatically decline when you hit your 40s. This is a big surprise. It's a mic drop moment for this research study because one would, th would have thought that, no, actually look around. Everyone's metabolism and when they're in their 40s started to change. I think you probably have a lot of people in our audience shaking their heads and raising their hands right now. I'll tell you why we actually have that. But it's supposed to be rock stable from 20 to 60. And by the way, that discovery, which is less than two years old, doctors haven't even heard about this yet. This so smoking hot new research. And, you know, the old metabolism textbooks are being ripped up and thrown out the window. The new ones haven't even been written yet. So your saccharolites are actually hearing about something very, very state of the art. But I can tell you what the good news is means that based on how we're hardwired as humans, 60 can be the new 20 if you allow your metabolism to do its thing. So that's really good news. And that the fourth phase is from 60 to 90, there is a slight decrease of your metabolism only, but only 17% when you're 90. It's 17% lower than when you were 60 or 20. So what actually happens during middle age? Well, one of the things, remember I told you, you got the, we got to this result by removing the effect of excess body fat. When you start throwing extra body fat in, it slows down the metabolism. Now, why does extra body fat start to accumulate when you hit your 40s? A lot of people probably want to know. Well, here's what happens. Hormones change, both in men and women. When hormones change, our brain changes. The clarity of our thinking change. Our decision-making changes. Now, we're just still the same person, but it might not be quite as easy to make those same decisions. So hormonal shifts can actually have an impact on uh, how we eat and what we eat and how much we eat. Also, those hormonal changes influence other aspects of our health that impact on our decision-making, how much sleep we get and how well we sleep. When you're not sleeping well, you're not recharging. Your metabolism isn't running as smoothly. So think about those you know, perimenopausal, menopausal shifts, and you're not sleeping as well, you're actually shortchanging your metabolism, and that's actually going to grow extra body fat. And then stress. The other thing that happens during your 40s is life happens. Life happens, meaning that now you've got kids that you're concerned about in a different way. You've got relationship concern, financial concerns, real estate concerns. Now you're worried about the outside world. You're worried about the war. You're worried about the climate. You're worried about you know, public health issues. There's so many more responsibilities that we actually are dealing with as adults in our 40s that actually make it harder for us to do the things we want to do. So I'm sure your community is you know, very conscious of their health, which is why they're part of this community. But you know what? I would also bet that if we were to really sit down and have a heart to heart and, you know, you're busy, you're tired, you're stressed, you're worried about your kids. Oh, man, you know, today I, I'm just not going to work out because I'm just way too tired. I'm just going to skip it today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Those kinds of things add up over time. And it's OK. You're not doing it every day. But what happens when you hit that middle age, everything kind of piles up on top of each other where it's easier to make those decisions that allow our body to grow extra body fat. And as we grow extra body fat, it's like the researchers throwing body fat back into the results. Our metabolism actually slows. So it's true that as we hit our middle age, our metabolism slows, but not automatically. It's not designed to do that. It's what happens in our lives, our decisions that actually then 
overload extra body fat into our system that then suppresses it. And even if you look good, even if you look like you have a slender, lean body, you can still have extra body fat packed inside. And that's the so-called skinny fat, which in many cases is much more dangerous than the stuff you can see in the mirror. Yeah, actually, that's, you know, one of the ingredients in our metabolism powder is a really powerful seaweed antioxidant that helps turn white fat into brown fat. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's so interesting because fat is so, okay, maybe, you know, butter and coconut oil and ghee are in, but when it comes to our own bodies, it's still people think that they want to get rid of all your fat, but actually your fat is a metabolic, maybe not organ, but metabolic part of the metabolism for sure. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about Sue, but before I do that, I want to actually reset people's expectations and understanding about what body fat actually is, right? So when we as adults think about fat, it's almost always negative, right? So look, I'm sure the three of us have had exactly the same experience. You step out of the shower in the morning, you're drying yourself, and then out of the corner of your eye, you look in the mirror and you see a lump or a bump that, you know, doesn't matter what your body size is or type is, yeah, you're not happy with it. And then you go, oh man, I got to work out a little bit more. I got to eat a little healthier. Then you step on the scale. And if that number isn't exactly what you want, then you like curse. Ah, oh, that's terrible. When you go to the grocery store, I don't care if you're a vegan or a vegetarian or an omnivore. If you're wheeling your cart past the butcher section of the grocery store and you see a piece of steak that's there with a big, thick rind of fat, you automatically go, ugh, I hope nobody eats that, right? So our adult world is really filled with a very negative association with fat. However, that is not always the case because when we see babies, newborns, one-year-olds, the thing that brings a big smile to our face is the big chubby cheeks, big fat belly, fat arms and legs, right? That's what brings a smile to our face. And that's when we, we know intuitively that fat can't all be bad. So one of the things that I did and wrote about in my new book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, is really to talk about what actually human body fat does and why it's important for us. Fat is padding. Fat is a fuel tank. In fact, that energy from metabolism that we talked about, you put food in your mouth, the outside energy goes on the inside energy. It's got to be stored someplace. And the storage tank is your gas tank that you pop the nozzle into to fill up. But the gas tank in our body is body fat, individual fat cells called adipocytes. They blow up, they fill up with fuel, okay? And that's the fuel that we draw down on when we're not eating. It's how our body actually stores that fuel. But our fat is also an endocrine organ, endocrine like you're making hormones. So your fat is an organ. It's an organ that's as important as your heart, your brain, your kidneys, your lungs. And that's actually a big surprise as well, is that our fat makes hormones that control our decision-making. So that fuel tank is full. We're good. That's one of the hormones called leptin. Leptin is a hunger, a satiety hormone. It's not an on and off switch. It's more like a volume switch or a dimmer switch. When the tank is low, leptin is low, got to fill up, got to actually go get some food. And the leptin is full, gas tank is full, you step away. No, I don't need more energy right now, okay? So that's one hormone, it controls our brain. Another hormone is called adiponectin, made only really by fat cells, 
for Whitney and Daniel, if you were to come to my clinic and I were to draw a vial blood, send it off to the lab for the usual things, but I check the box that says, please analyze every hormone in the body. Okay, the results have come back and your adiponectin levels made by healthy body fat would be 1000 times higher than any other hormone in your body, higher than thyroid, higher than estrogen, higher than cortisol. And the reason is adiponectin made by your body fat is a partner with insulin to make the energy draw for your metabolism more efficient. So you need to have lots of adiponectin made by healthy body fat. Now, what happens when you grow extra body fat? When you grow extra body fat, the fat expands, the fuel tanks blow up like a water balloon, all right? They outstrip their blood supply because fat's an organ, organs have blood supply. When it gets too big, it's grown larger than the blood supply, can keep it alive. The center of the fat starts to die. And what happens when tissues die? Inflammation sets in, and now you've got a big mound of inflammatory fat where the inflammation leaks out, but the inflammation also disrupts your hormones, the fat hormones. Now, your body, your brain doesn't know if you're hungry or not. Do I have enough fuel? Do I need to refuel or not? I can't tell. Now, your adiponectin, the thing that helps with insulin to draw that energy in, goes, I, I don't know, should we be drawing energy in or not? I, it's so noisy with inflammation in here, I can't tell anymore. So your metabolism goes off whack when you have too much body fat, visceral fat, and that's white fat. But there's one more fourth role for fat, which is brown fat. Brown fat is a special kind of fat. It's not lumpy bumpy. It's not under your arm. It's not under your chin. It's not the muffin top. It's not in your thighs or your butt. Okay. And it's not even packed inside the tube of your body. Brown fat is wafer thin. It's like a piece of paper and it's not under the skin. You can't see it. It's close to the bone. And where is the brown fat located? It's plastered on the side of our neck, a little bit under our breastbone, under our arms, like a girdle, a little bit in our belly. And we actually inherited brown fat over evolution from other animals that hibernate. Brown fat actually generates heat. And in hibernating animals, what happens is that hibernating animals, it's fall, getting cold, the little squirrels and creatures go out they stuff their cheeks, they get really, really fat, right? And they get fat and furry, and then they waddle into their cave. When it's time to hibernate, the snow comes in, they're hibernating. That's not true sleeping, but their brown fat keeps them alive from the cold. It fires up, generates heat, but it needs fuel. It gets the fuel from your white fat, especially the harmful white fat inside. So you want more brown fat to burn down the white fat. Hibernating animals do that because when they come out in the spring, they are lean. They burn down their fat because the brown fat burned it down. We didn't know humans have that, but humans actually have a lot of it. Cold temperatures will bring that brown fat to work. So they actually looked at outdoor workers in Scandinavian countries. If you're a telephone pole worker, if you're a lumberjack in Sweden or, or Norway, your, your brown fat's gonna be on. If you're living in a temperature-controlled environment, your brown fat doesn't need to turn on. However, it turns out that certain foods that we eat, and I write about 150 of them, hot chili peppers, mushrooms, fresh and dried, avocados, broccoli, broccoli rabe, uh, bok choy, kale, tomatoes, tomato paste, tomato powder, 
all these kinds of things will actually light up your brown fat. So when you eat certain foods, including seaweed, including brown seaweed, there are um, phycocyanins that are found in there exactly in that. What does it do? That brown seaweed will actually turn your brown fat on. It goes click, 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 whoosh. That brown fat ignites up. And what does it do? It's got to burn down fuel. Where does it burn it down from? From your white fat. But seaweed does something more. It actually encourages your white fat to become brown fat as well. And so the story of fat is being revealed. We're peeling back the layers of the onion to figure out when is fat good and when is fat bad. Too much fat, not good for you, right? It slows your metabolism, causes inflammation, sets you up for chronic disease. But we do need healthy amounts of fat. So this is why, you know, you really don't want to cut your fat out, burn it out, suck it out, or poison it. We're not aiming for a number on the scale. We're aiming for good inner health. Good composition. And I feel like what you're speaking to is such a good segue into a last and final question. There's so many questions we got from clients asking about, you know, I feel my metabolism slowing. Is it connected to hormones? Vice versa, which you're really connecting the two between how you choose what to eat how, you know, that impacts what kind of fat you have, what the microbiota in your microbiome are doing and how those things impact your, your endocrinology and your hormones. So let's say somebody really is feeling like there's a big difference, you know, between now and how they felt five years ago, they really do feel their metabolism slowing. What is it that they can do? Like, what are your top three to five tips on what people can do? Let's just dive right into this because it's such an important question. First, let me, before we get into the metabolism itself, let me just tell you that if you try to be more physically active every day, you're actually going to be setting yourself up for success. You don't need a trainer. You don't need to have a gym membership, but you have to be active. And I write about my book, there's been research done that Activity starts with little things. Success is built from little things. You don't need to go extreme. Little things count. In fact, there was a study done in the UK that showed even fidgeting actually burns calories. Amazingly enough, all those things are part of physical activity, but so is walking around the house. So is taking a nice walk with your partner after dinner. That's a good start. Do that. Number two, get good quality sleep. Sleeping is where our gut microbiome, the ecosystem, rebuilds itself and makes sure that it cleans itself up and detoxifies itself. And not only does your gut detoxify, but your brain detoxifies. Very important when you get good quality sleep. We have an underground sewer system in our brain. It's like the sewers of Paris. You don't see them, but there's an incredible intricate network in order to keep the city clean. Same thing is in our brain. When we get good quality sleep, these channels open up and it dumps out all the toxins that accumulated during the day. Think about, you know, when you've been out really late or when you're in college and you stayed, you pulled an all-nighter. Next day, you feel fuzzy, right? You have a little brain fog. You know why? Because those toxins are still in our brain. We haven't cleaned it out. So this is why good quality sleep exercise and stress management, that meditation, very, very important because stress, a little bit of stress will actually turn on your brown fat, but a lot of stress actually causes inflammation instead. Now, when we're not eating, like when we're sleeping for those eight hours, insulin goes down. And when insulin goes down, it is the signal for our metabolism to shift gears 
And when we're shifting gears, it now can focus on burning down extra body fat. You burn down extra body fat, your metabolism is going to rise. So when you actually get good quality sleep and you are not eating and insulin goes down, then you'll be starting to burn fat and you'll start feeling better pretty quickly. Now, eight hours is what we should be aiming for. So let, let me just model it out. Let's say you go to bed at 11, eight hours as you get up at seven. That's an ideal. All right. If you want to feel even better and let your body do the heavy lifting for you as a start without doing anything extreme, here's what you do the night before. Night before you're eating dinner, let's say again, you eat dinner at seven, you put your dishes away at eight o'clock, all right? And after you put your dishes away, you don't eat anything else. No late dessert, no midnight snack, no noshing. You are symbolically, when you put your dishes in the sink saying, oh, I'm done, I got everything I need for the day. Let's say you eat at seven and finish at eight and put your dishes away at eight o'clock. You go to bed at 11, eight to 11 is three hours. Now you've just gained three extra hours of low insulin, metabolism shifting gears, burning down body fat, metabolism rising, three hours plus eight hours is 11 hours. Now you want to do one more thing that's easy that anybody can do. When you get up in the morning, and this is what I do every morning, I'm mindful about this. When I get up in the morning, I do not do what my mom taught me what to do when I was a kid. Hurry up and get up get downstairs, eat some breakfast, get on that school bus so you're not late for school, right? So that's why we're all instinctively getting up and quickly fixing breakfast for ourselves. Turns out you don't have to do that. So when I get up in the morning, I'll take my time getting ready, getting dressed. I will check my emails. I'll go for a walk. I might read a few pages of a book or I'm writing a book. I'll write a few pages. And then what I do is I'll wait about an hour before I eat breakfast. Do the math. 11 plus 1 is 12. Guess what? 12 hours of not eating, my insulin's low, my metabolism is switching gears to burn down harmful body fat, raise my metabolism. And by the way, I've measured this using a device that can take the breathalyzer that can test my metabolism, and it works every single day. I'm able to maximize my fat burning overnight just by doing this. You can actually shift your patterns a little bit to be able to get 12 out of 24 hours, half your day is spent burning down extra body fat to unleash your inner metabolism. No special diet, no special workout plan, nothing extreme. It's 12 hours of intermittent fasting. Does 16 hours of fasting give you more? Absolutely. Clinical studies have been done to show that if you fast for 16 hours, you'll lose about 13 pounds over about a month. But if you fast just for 12 hours, the way I just showed you, no biggie, easy to do. Anybody can do it. If you're starting to feel like you're flagging, you don't have enough energy, guarantee you doing this for a few days, you'll start to feel your energy actually rising. And I can tell you that will actually help you lose between eight and nine pounds. This kind of a pattern you can stick with for a long time. Trying to fast for 16 hours, you might be able to hang on. You might be able to do it for a couple of weeks, but it's very difficult to do in a normal person's life. And by the way, Something else actually for the Sakara lights that is a little tip that most people don't know. You know that intermittent fasting of 16-8 that they tell you about? You know how that 16 and 8 came about? Because I wondered this, like, what's the science that says that it has to be 16 and 8? Why not 15 and 9? Why not 17 and, and 7, right? Well, it turns out that number 16 and 8, which does work in people, came from a lab study involving mice. And the researcher who was doing the experiment had to be at the lab 
feeding the mice for a particular period of time and then removing all the food from the cage so they would actually be fasting the rest of the time. And the researcher had a deal with her significant other that she would have good work-life balance. And so the deal was that they would only design this experiment so she was in the lab working for eight hours. This is not science. This was relationship. This is work-life balance. And I'm a researcher, so I can tell you, sometimes it happens this way. And so it's not that it's wrong, but I do want to give people, you know, a little bit of that inside look at why these numbers came about. I'm telling you, 12 hours will work just fine. You do get more if you fast longer. But it, but if you can do what I just said, and Danielle, for that person, you know, that member who has that question, say, oh, man, I'm starting to flag. What can I do? You know, we talked about a lot of different things, but just making those little adjustments in your life allows your body to do the heavy lifting. Anything on top of that will make you feel even better. I love that. I love that these are tips and tricks that people can do for the remainder of their 30-day reset, too, if they're not already doing it. We talk about it in the 30-day guide, the metabolism guide, about that fasting window and understanding you know, why maybe something like five to eight small meals over, you know, a 15 hour period of your day is maybe not for revving your metabolism, that it's actually important to eat the right foods, the right amount of foods in that window that fasting, you know, is not about eating less, but it's about getting the right foods and the right amount in a smaller window of time. But Dr. Lee, you're incredible. We could sit with you for three more hours and I know there's so many more questions. So maybe we'll have to do a part two. Thank you so much for your time and intelligence and research. And you have a real ability to take information that might be hard for people to understand how to use, how to live by and help people understand what they can do to make real changes. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure always to speak to both of you. Today, we're getting back to the basics of Sakara, and so we wanted to share a bit about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experienced through the power of food as medicine. This program is based on the science behind a whole food, plant-rich diet and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. If you're interested in learning more about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program, head to saqqara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com. And for a limited time, we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation So use the code PODCAST20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of Saqqara Life. I think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us, whether you're 
a busy professional or a mom, I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body. And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world.